the following message entitled, Spiritual Sight, Spiritual Blindness, part 21 of the series, I Am, the Book of John, was given by Mark Altrogi on April 1st, 2012 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, well, please turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We've been in the book of John. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit. We're going to John chapter 9. This morning's message is called Spiritual Sight, Spiritual Blindness. I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine what it would be like to be born blind? To never see the sky or a bird or a cloud or a sunrise or a sunset. Never see the face of your dad and mom or your brothers and sisters. Never see the face of your friends. I I just can't imagine that. And in Jesus' day, you would have to sit by the street day after day begging for bread until one day someone comes along and applies some kind of a paste to your eyes and tells you to go wash it off. And as you are washing your face, never having seen the light of day, Imagine what it would be like to have light begin to break in. Imagine what it would be like to suddenly be able to see the face, the faces of your friends and relatives. This would be incredible. Now, this, that's what this is about today. This happened to a man today. This is an exciting episode in the life of Jesus. And in this chapter that we're going to look at, we see Jesus, the light of the world, the Creator who said, let there be light, give both physical and spiritual sight to a man born blind. It's a story about a man sitting in darkness, And Jesus seeks him out and gives him physical sight and saving faith. And it's also the story about the willful, prideful, irrational, stubborn unbelief of those who think they can see, but they are spiritually blind. And so there's some challenging aspects of this that that as I studied it, were challenging to me, and I believe there are things that we really need to look at from God's Word this morning, and and warnings as we see the unbelief of the Pharisees. So let's pray. Lord, we praise You for Your Word. Thank You that, that the God who created heaven and earth would speak to us. Thank You that You would show us and reveal to us what You are like and who You are. And what we need to do. Lord, I pray that You would please speak to us by Your Spirit and Your Word this morning. And change our lives. Lord, give us spiritual light this morning from Your Word. 
and stir us up and build us up and encourage us and show us what you're like this morning, Lord. Please. We want to know you more. And Lord, fellowship with us through your word. Draw near to us. And we thank you that you have said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So Lord, we are drawing near to you in your word. And we just thank you that you have promised you will draw near to us. Not because we deserve it, but because of all Jesus has done for us. And we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter begins with a question. And so it says in verse 1 and 2, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, probably near the temple, And they passed by a poor, blind beggar. And we don't know how they knew he'd been blind from birth. Maybe they had asked him, because they probably passed by him a number of times. Maybe he was was a standard kind of fixture, sitting there day after day, begging. It's possible that someone told them. But the disciples asked Jesus this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Jews at that time, Time, believed that all sickness was directly caused by sin. And some even taught that you could sin in the womb. And so the disciples were wrestling with the fact that this man had been born blind. And so they're struggling. They're saying, did, did this man somehow sin before he was even born? Or is this a result of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. It's an opportunity to glorify God. And so in verses 3-5, through he says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what Jesus is saying is this man's blindness was not caused either by his parents' sin or his own sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that doesn't mean that that God purposely afflicted this guy with blindness just so He could heal him, but it meant that God was now going to triumph over this tragedy and bring glory to Himself by healing Him. Now, this is really an important truth. God doesn't afflict us just so He can get glory out of our suffering. God is not sadistic and He never does anything evil. But, this is very important, God is in control of all things. God controls every molecule in the universe. And He could prevent us from suffering if He wanted to. But sometimes His plan for us includes that we suffer so that He can triumph over it for His glory. 
And He can triumph over it in various ways and bring glory to Himself even out of our suffering. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul suffered from what he called a thorn in the flesh. And in 2 Corinthians, he talks about this thorn in the flesh that he was suffering from. It was some kind of a physical ailment in his flesh that he was suffering. And he says he prayed about it three times. He asked God to take it away. And then then it says in verse 9, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God was saying, Paul, through your weakness, through this affliction, I'm going to manifest my power. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul said when he was weak, somehow Christ could display His power through Paul in a way that He wouldn't if Paul were strong and not afflicted. And I want to to tell you this, that for so many of you in this church, I see the power and glory of God in your lives, though a number of you, many of you are suffering physically, financially, or yet in other ways. And despite the fact that you are suffering, you express faith in God and trust in God. And I hear coming out of your mouths, God is good. God is faithful. And that is, that is coming out of the mouth of someone who is suffering. And that brings God so much glory. Now sometimes God allows us to suffer hardship or physically for a season, and then He heals us for His glory. And that has happened too. And a number of you have experienced that at times. God has many ways He can bring glory to Himself through trials. But one of the things we need to to remember is that all of our trials are not necessarily caused by sin. We will go through trials because we live in a fallen world. The world has been affected by sin. And so in one way, yes, all our trials are a result of sin. But it's not always because we personally sinned. So every time something bad happens to you, don't think, well, God must be punishing me. I must have sinned. No. That's not the case. And, and if any of you are suffering, I want you to know as, as your pastor that the thought does not come into my mind, well, you must be in sin somehow. I don't think that. I don't assume that ever. Now, if, if you told me, well, I've sinned and this caused this, that would be different. But I want you to know that we as your pastors, when you are suffering, we don't, just, we don't have any thought come into our mind of like, well, you must have sinned. No. We know that we can be in a, we're in a fallen world and that people suffer. But we also believe this. We also believe our God is sovereign and that He takes even our suffering and brings glory to Himself through it in, in many ways that at times we can't even understand. And so, if, if you're suffering, 
I want you to know that we would feel compassion for you and, and care about you. And at the same time, we just pray that God would heal you and would deliver you. And at the same time, and it's not wrong to keep asking. Paul asked God three different times. He kept asking, God, please take this away. So it's not wrong to keep asking. But also know at the same time, if God doesn't immediately deliver you, He may have some other way to bring glory to Himself through that. Now Jesus goes on and He says, we must work the works of Him who sent Me while it is day. That's an incredible statement He makes to His disciples. He includes us. Jesus didn't say to His disciples, you know, this guy, I see him, I must keep doing these works that glorify my Father. He says, we have to do this. Have you ever thought about this? Isn't it amazing that Jesus includes us in His work? We do the works of God. When Jesus rescues us from our sins, our lives are no more ordinary. We are called to do the works of Jesus along with Jesus. And you say, well, you know what? I'm not healing blind people. I'm not doing that. Well, there are all kinds of works He gives us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works for you to walk in. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no reason to doubt it at all. God has good works for you to walk in. You, you may say, Mark, you don't know what my life is like. It's the same every day. I get up, I do the same thing every day. I go to school every day. I take the same boring classes every day. Or I get up every day and I'm taking care of these children. I get up every day and I go to, and I sit in a cubicle all day long. And I work for a company. Well, it says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ when you are giving your little child a bath. You are serving the Lord Christ when you are working for your boss. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You are doing the works of God. Jesus includes us in His works. And so when you become a Christian, your life is not, not ordinary anymore. When Jesus saves us, we have a whole new life of, of works that God has prepared for us to walk in. That's so amazing that Jesus includes us in His work. And He says, we must work the works of Him who sent Me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. There's, there's an urgency Jesus has. He's saying we have to do the works of God because the night is coming. Now, in Jesus' case, He was thinking of His death and then His resurrection and His ascension. So He knew His time on earth physically was limited. And so he says, we, we have an urgency. We must do the work. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Now, he would continue to be the light of the world after he ascended to heaven, but he's talking about his physical life. 
And as, as I was studying this, I was thinking, yes, we, we need to have a sense of urgency. Our life is important. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, it says, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Walk wisely, making the best use of the time. Each of us only has a limited amount of time. We are not going to be reincarnated. You're not going to get to come back and try it over again if you don't do do well in this life, if you don't use this life for the Lord, if you don't turn to Jesus, if you don't live for Jesus as a believer. We only have a limited amount of time. This is our one shot. And we don't know how much time we have. We don't know if any of us are going to be here next week. Jesus could come back tonight while we're eating supper. To die this week. Are we living to do the works of God or are we squandering our lives pursuing sin or the things of this world? Now, it's not wrong to have things in this world. And, and the Bible says God richly blesses us with all things to enjoy. So I'm not saying don't enjoy anything, don't have anything. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying overall, with your life, are you living it for the Lord? Are you, is there any kind of a sense of urgency? This is my one shot. How would you live differently if you knew Jesus was returning sometime in the next six weeks? If we knew that. We can't know that. But if we could, would you just say, well, Jesus is coming back sometime between now and the next six weeks. I'm going to accumulate as much stuff as I can. Man, I got six weeks to get on eBay and load my house up. <laughs> None of us would do that. None of us would say, I'm going to get as rich as I can in six weeks. No, we would, we would live for the Lord. We'd say, I have somewhere between now and six weeks. Is there somebody I can bless? Is there somebody I can pray for? Is there somebody I can do something to serve? I once heard... Uh, that a preacher was asked what he would do differently if he knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And he said, nothing. I keep living the way I'm living. I'd still keep spending time with my family. I'd still keep just trying to serve the Lord as He's called me. That's the attitude we should have. That's the way we should live. That if Jesus was to come back in the next few weeks, our life really wouldn't look that much different. Right? So Jesus sets the tone here. And so now He's thinking about the works of God. He's thinking about glorifying God. He's looking at this man born blind, sitting by the side of the road. And then in verse 6 it says, Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. What's with the mud? It's one of the strangest miracles in a way. Why did Jesus make mud? It doesn't really tell us. And I read a number of commentators and none, none of them really knew. 
they had some ideas, a couple of ideas. This passage mentions mud five times. I like that. So I I was thinking about this. Some commentators said that I read said that it just shows God works in He is sovereign, and He works any way He wants, and He works in unexpected ways. And I thought, yeah, that that's good. God works in unexpected ways. He may He may answer your prayers in a way you don't even expect. I mean, after all, He said to Peter once when when they were. When the uh, religious leader said he had to pay a temple tax, he said, go throw your fishing line into the, into the sea and you're going to pull out a fish with a gold coin in its mouth. I love that. That just shows God has ways of meeting my needs that I don't even know about, that I couldn't even fathom. He could, he could heal me with mud if He wanted to. Some commentators thought that it was, it was a reflection on Genesis 2-7 when God created man. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. In other words, the Creator is still creating. The same God who made the first man out of mud now takes mud again and He creates new sight in this guy. And I just thought, yes, that, there's so much the Bible says about Jesus is, is the Creator. It, it says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. He's part of the new creation. Someday Jesus will make a new heaven and a new earth. He is still creating. So, this should give us hope. We are not doomed to live a life of constant failure and falling into sin because the great Creator is still at work in our lives. He is not finished with you yet. You're a new creation. He is making you more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ every day. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God is recreating you into His own image. This should give us hope. And he, he works in unexpected ways. He works miracles in ways we can't fathom. So, so you may say, how in the world is, is God going to help me? I don't know. He may have some way that, that is, you have not even fathomed. It should give us hope. Now the whole neighborhood, when they, when they see this happen, it's a buzz it's an amazing miracle. One commentator I read said this is the only congenital condition that Jesus healed. That's, that's actually mentioned as being from birth. He probably healed many, but Scripture records that this man had been blind from birth. This could not be anything but an amazing miracle. It's not like he maybe had something in his eye and then it, it went away. No, he was born this way. And so, in verse 8, it says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. It's it's kind of funny. It's like they're talking about him right in front of him. Is this him? I don't know. It looks like him. Hey, it's me. I don't know. He looks kind of different to me. It's me. I'm the man. He might be a guy who looks like him. (laughs) 
That's just funny to me. I, I just wish I could see that. So they said to him, then, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? <laughs> he says, I, don't, I don't, do not know. I, I don't even know what he looks like. I haven't <laughs> seen him. He, <laughs> You know, he, he went away after he put, I, I went away after he put this mud on my eyes. I don't, I, you might be him, I don't know. Never seen a person before. This, this, this is such a great illustration of salvation. This man, it doesn't say that the man called out to Jesus. It doesn't say that the man came to Jesus. What it says is that Jesus saw this man in his helpless condition, sitting by the side of the road, blind, and Jesus took the initiative in his life. Jesus went to him. Jesus made the mud, put it on his eyes. I can imagine him sitting there and, and suddenly he just feels hand on his face and something going on to his eyes. And then he hears the voice and he finds out it's this man who was called Jesus. He has, this man has no capacity to recognize Jesus or find Him on his own. And that's such a picture of salvation. God comes after us. When we are in our sins... We have no interest in God, no desire for God. We're not looking for God. We're blind. We can't recognize God for who He is. And He comes after us. He takes the initiative. I wasn't looking for God in my life. My parents get invited to a prayer meeting and then they invite me to the prayer meeting. I begin to hear about God. My girlfriend meets a guy from Washington, D.C. on a plane wearing a picture of Jesus on his t-shirt. He tells her about Jesus. And one day, she opens up the paper, and this guy is speaking in a retreat center in Brush Valley. And my girlfriend invites me. I wasn't looking for Jesus. Then I run into this Jewish kid who is a friend of mine, and he tells me, hey Mark, guess what? I became a Christian. Can I talk to you about Jesus sometime? It's like Jesus kept taking the initiative in my life over and over and over. Pursuing me. And I would encourage you, think back on the way Jesus has taken initiative in your life. If, if, if you have been saved by Jesus, it's not because you were pursuing Him. Think back. Think of all the ways He reached out to you. All the people He sent to you. That, that track that you found. That little leaflet you found about Jesus. Whatever it was. Think back. And let that encourage you. Let that encourage you today. Jesus is the One who sought you out. You don't have to think, oh, boy, somehow I've got to hold on to Jesus as best I can for my life. Jesus is, is the One who started all this. He is the One who's going to finish it in your life. He is never going to stop taking the initiative in your life. And also what is such a good picture of salvation in here is that the blind man believed Jesus and responded to Him and obeyed Him. It's not enough 
that, that we just believe or that we just have Jesus take the initiative in our life. He calls us to respond to Him. Jesus commands us and calls us to believe in Him. To believe His Word. To believe He is who He says He is. And to follow Him. And to worship Him. And to obey Him. This man obeyed Jesus and did what He said and He was healed. Now we come to, to the Pharisees. And we'll, we're, we can learn some important things from their blindness. So in verse 13 it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been, been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened His eyes. It doesn't say who brought Jesus to the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. But somebody thinks the leaders need to know about this. Maybe it's because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Now, the Jews had many man-made rules they added to the Bible. Including a rule that forbid anyone to knead dough, knead dough on the Sabbath. Because that was work. And so, Jesus kneading the mud was equivalent to kneading dough. And so, the the Pharisees, always looking for somebody breaking their rules, probably said that was why He healed on the Sabbath. That was why it was a violation of their law. And they had another man-made rule that you couldn't heal someone on the Sabbath unless it was a a medical emergency. So maybe that was why. But they make a note here. John makes a note. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud. And they're having a problem with that. So the Pharisees, verse 15, they again asked Him how He had received His sight. And He said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, Think about what a scene this was. All the Pharisees, these religious hoity-toities, impeccably dressed in their robes with their Scriptures hanging off them and everything. Fancy. These are the well-respected men about town and they all gather around this beggar. He's probably dirty. His clothes were probably tattered dirty clothes. He was probably missing teeth. Probably had unkempt hair. And they're grilling him. Come on, man! Tell the truth! Tell the truth! How did you get your sight? And he says, well, you see, fellas, it's really complicated. He put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. (laughs) I just could picture the frustration of these Pharisees. Yeah. There's something really to be said about the power of personal testimony. Personal testimony. See, so many many of us think, you know what, who am I to say anything about Jesus? I can't explain all this deep stuff. I I can't explain doctrine. I, I can't explain the Bible. What if someone asked me this hard question like, What about the people who never hear about God? How am I going to answer that? You know what? All we have to do is tell what Jesus did for us. I was blind. He put mud on my eyes. And I can see. I was a sinner. I was lost. 
I was a slave to sin. Jesus invaded my life and gave me a new life. Jesus gave me joy that I never had before. Jesus gave me peace that I never had before. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just tell what God has done for you. That's what Paul did all the time. The Apostle Paul, one of the smartest guys in the Bible, he would tell people what God did for him. He would say, I was on my way to take some Christians to jail. I was persecuting Christians. I was on my way to Damascus. God knocked me down with a brilliant light and saved me and spoke to me. I'm Jesus. And I was changed. And He gave me a mission to the Gentiles. This week, this week, pray. Ask God, Lord, give me a chance to just tell someone that Jesus has done something for me. Give me a chance to tell, tell someone what Jesus has done in my life. It doesn't have to be big. You might be talking to someone in the grocery store and they're going through problems and you might, you might just be able to say, you know what, that's very similar to me. I, I was battling severe anxiety and then Jesus rescued me from my sins and He gave me peace. Can I pray for you or I'll pray for you when we leave? Let's ask Jesus to use us and give us opportunities just to say, Jesus has changed me. Now the Pharisees, they just go on. They say this, some of the Pharisees said, verse 16, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. What is amazing is these Pharisees are not happy this guy's been healed after a lifetime of blindness. You'd think they'd say, this is great! We are so happy for you! You've been blind your whole life and you're healed. No, all they're focused on is the method Jesus used. That He did this on the Sabbath. They're not even thinking about God. They're not even rejoicing over what God has done. They say, this man's not from God. He doesn't keep our rules. How can a man who's a sinner do such signs, the others say? So the Pharisees are divided. Some of them are saying, how, how can he be a sinner and, and, and do this? And we've got to be careful that we don't add to the Scriptures. See, what the, what the Pharisees had done was they added man-made rules to the Scriptures. And they thought, if you, if you don't keep our rules... You're, 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 not, you're not godly. Well, we can add subtle rules to the Scriptures. We, we don't do it intentionally. We don't think I'm adding to the Bible. We'd never say that. We would say, I would never add to the Bible. But we can add things like a certain kind of Christian education is the most godly way to educate our children. You may have a conviction of what's best for your family, but that doesn't mean if someone else chooses a different way to educate their children that they're not godly. We've got to be careful we don't do stuff like that. Or that we must vaccinate our children or not vaccinate our children. And that if you vaccinate or if you don't vaccinate, you're, you're less godly. No, we, we can have our own convictions about things, but we shouldn't add it as a way of expressing if we're really godly or good parents. Or it's more godly to eat certain kinds of food. 
or dress in certain ways on Sundays. I'm so glad that everybody dresses differently. It's not more godly to dress one way or another. I, I love it that everybody dresses so differently in our church on Sundays. It's, it's, it's kind of adding something if we add something else in. It's we're adding to Scripture, really. So we've got to be careful we don't do that. So the Pharisees are divided. And they say, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So they say again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he says, he's a prophet. The Pharisees, they seem to be grasping at straws. <laughs> now they're so desperate, they say to the blind man, what do you, what do you say? I, I don't know what they were hoping he would say. Were they hoping he'd say he's a bad man? <laughs> they're clearly desperate in their willful unbelief. There's no excuse for unbelief. Jesus has given us overwhelming evidence that He is God. And unbelief is willfully closing our eyes to God's truth. And the healed man, the healed man is coming to faith. He hasn't, he hasn't come fully to faith. And this just shows the process God is working in his life. He is, he is now coming. His eyes are open more and more. And he says, well, he's, he's a prophet. He, he at least knows that. And so, he's not intimidated by these guys. He's not afraid to take a stand. And Jesus works this way in our lives, gradually unfolding more and more of Himself over time. And I just want to encourage us that even those of us who have walked with the Lord for many, many years, we, we don't ever want to think, you know, I know all there is to know about Jesus. Jesus has much more to reveal about Himself. He is infinite. We should never say, well, you know what? I read through the whole Bible, so what else is there now? No, there's always more Jesus can open up to us from the Bible. We need to regularly keep pursuing Jesus. Paul, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, said, I want to know Him in the book of Philippians. Paul, Paul didn't say, you know what? I've seen the risen Jesus. I know all I need to know about Him. I, I want to know Him. See, that was just the opposite of the Pharisees. They thought, I know. We know. We know what's right. We know all we need to know about God. Now, the Pharisees' unbelief, they're just, they are just so willful in it that now they, they have to bring in the guy's parents. They've got to somehow disprove this. And so in verse 18 it says, the Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. And verse 22 gives us this incredible insight. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. They were lying. They knew how he'd been healed. But they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue. They feared man more than they feared God. 
Because to be put out of the synagogue, you would be an outcast. That was the end of your life, essentially, if you were Jewish back then. If you follow Jesus, you will face situations in which you'll be tempted to fear man. And you need to decide, do you fear God or do you fear man? All of us, I've been put in those situations. Many of you IUP students, you're in classes in which you, you may have to take a stand for Jesus. My daughter was in a class once and the prof said to the class, is there anybody here in the class who does not think they're good? Now, my daughter knows that the Bible says that in and of ourselves, no one is good. And so, in front of the whole class, she had to raise her hand and say, I don't think I'm good. (laughs) And the prof was just incredulous that someone would have such an archaic idea. It could be embarrassing. There may be situations at work where you have to take a stand. Maybe people slandering someone else. People gossiping about someone behind their back. And you know this is wrong and I can't participate in this. And you may have to leave the room or excuse yourself. I found myself in that situation when I was an art teacher. I was sitting at lunch around the table and people were slandering another teacher who wasn't there. I just... Finally, I just said, you know what, I I just don't think we should be talking about this person when they can't defend themselves. And it was like I dumped ice water on them. It was like, you said that? We're all going to find ourselves in those situations. The Pharisees were fearful to, 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 to confront well, the parents don't help the Pharisees, so, they, so their unbelief, they, they call the man back in. <laughs> this is almost humorous. Verse 24, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Give glory to God means tell the truth here. They say, We know. We know this man is a sinner. They are stuck in their unbelief. And we just, we just have to be careful saying, I know. You know, there are some things we know about God that we should not back down on. We know Jesus Christ is God. We know He's King of kings. We know He died for our sins and rose from the dead. We should not back down on things like that. But there is, there is much I don't know. For example, I don't know people's motives. I could, someone could do something and I could, I could maybe think, see it as a sin or, or, see something they do, but I don't know their motives. You know, the Bible says a fool is wise in his own eyes. Be careful if you think you're always right and can't possibly be wrong. Parents, it is so easy to exasperate our kids by thinking we know everything and they're wrong. A parent who thinks they're right all the time can't ever be wrong. And so this man answers him. He says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? They already have asked him this. 
How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So their unbelief is on full display here. And so he asks them this, he gets annoyed and asks them this question. And verse 28 says, They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And so they're angry. They're reviling him. You are his disciple. We're the spiritual ones. We can see. And the man answers, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where He comes from, yet He opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's saying your unbelief is amazing. If you have rejected Jesus, if you are not believing in Him, you need to be careful. You need to be warned by this passage. It is willful. It is stubborn to not believe in Jesus in face of the evidence He's given. And then they cast, in verse 34, it says, then they answered Him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? They are so proud And this reference to being born in utter sin, they're probably saying you were born blind because of your sin. You think you can teach us. And they are so unteachable and blind. And they cast Him out. This man was willing to take a stand for Jesus. You can see the progress He's making in His life already that God is doing. and He's willing to be cast out, whereas His parents weren't. And so then, Jesus searches them out again. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And He answered, Who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen Him, and it is He who is speaking to you. And He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And what we see here is His faith now is growing. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that was a title, a messianic title from the Old Testament. The Son of Man was a title from the book of Daniel as the one who would rule all things. And He says, I want to. Who is He? And Jesus says, I'm Him. You're looking at Him. And He says, I believe. Lord, I believe. His his faith is contrasted with the Pharisees. And He says, I believe. And He worshipped Him. That is significant. He says, I believe in You, Lord. And then He fell on His knees, most likely, and worshipped Him. That's what it means when we see who Jesus is. That we we believe that he said that he is who he says he is with all our heart but we don't just have some kind of intellectual assent we give him our lives we fall before him we worship him he is our god he is our king and jesus said for judgment i came into this world that those who do not see may see 
and those who may see or those who see may become blind. Jesus wasn't saying, I came to judge the world. He says, judgment just is the effect of me coming. The effect of me coming is many people will see who are blind, and many people who think they are see they see will reject me. And then the chapter ends up with some of the Pharisees hearing him say this. In verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What they're saying is, we're not spiritually blind. And Jesus is saying, He said, If you were conscious of your blindness, you would turn to me, you'd be open to my redemption. But you're not conscious of your blindness. You think you have spiritual sight. So you're closed to the redemption I offer. And so the blind man knew that he needed Jesus. So my question at the end here is, do you need Jesus? And if your answer is yes, I need Him every day of my life, that's a great thing. He's he's here to pour out His light into your life and help you. If if your answer is, no, you know what? I'm doing okay by myself. And you're in trouble. And there's another warning. For us who have been Christian many years, Christians many years, we can think, you know what? I'm kind of doing all right. I don't don't really especially feel like much need for for God. That would be very dangerous. So what I want us to ask us to do as we end here He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So can we have the band come up? And can we just do that too? Can we say, Lord, I believe, and just worship Jesus? Let's pray. Why don't we stand and pray? Lord, we thank you that you took the initiative in our lives, you sought us out, and you gave us spiritual sight. And Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who has not yet believed in You and turned to You, would You please, Jesus, would You please open their blind eyes and give them sight. Lord, take the initiative in lives all over this area. Take the initiative in our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, our neighbors' lives. Take the initiative, Jesus. And would You also this week, Lord, give us opportunities to just tell others what You have done in our lives. We thank You, Lord, and we want to worship You now. We believe in You, Jesus, and we worship You. In Your name, Amen.